0: Well, there was a new delivery boy at the florist, and he was excited to have his, his first high school job, and he had, had the simple task of, of taking the floral arrangements and delivering them to the location, right? Not that difficult, and so uh, he was enjoying this job and doing, doing a pretty good job at it, and, and then one day he had a challenge presented to him. He now had to deliver two arrangements, in one trip, and so now he's got to get these arrangements to the right location, and so he, he delivers these arrangements and all seems well until the florist gets a call from a pretty upset preacher. See, see the, the boy was supposed to be delivering one arrangement to a church that was moving into its new building, and the other delivery was supposed to be to a, a funeral home for a funeral. And so you can see where the story's going. And so the upset preacher calls and says, what am I supposed to do? We're starting in in just a few minutes, and I've got a giant floral arrangement on my stage that says, rest in peace. Not a good start to the launch of this new church location, and the florist bounces back and says, well, at least you're not at a funeral that has a a giant wreath that says, good luck in your new location. (laughs) It gets worse, so... But thankfully for us, luck is not a part of this situation. Be thankful I don't throw in one of those cheesy stories every week. We'll just throw them in every once in a while. But luck is not a part of it. Last week we had an incredible Easter celebration. We had a great opportunity to have have a cookout and egg hunt with the neighborhood. We had great worship time together in the park and and in here. And, And so it was just a wonderful time together to be able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And last week, we continued with our series, The Core, that we've been going through. Each week, we're talking about these core beliefs. We're asking the question, what do you believe? And and as we ask these questions, we're we're thinking about this belief that goes from the head, this intellectual understanding of something, and goes into the heart. And each of us are at different steps along the way of things getting into our head, and then getting into our hearts, and we kind of are working at getting them deeply embedded into our heart. And so we've gone through nine of these beliefs, and, and we're in this tenth belief that we started last week, this idea of eternity, and looking at the question of, what happens next? What happens next? We've gone through the first nine, and, and if you were really to take those and not just have an intellectual understanding of those, but actually embed them into your heart and really, really believe those things, it would have an incredible impact on our life. How we act, how we think, if we really believed those things, would completely transform our lives. But then what? We're all one day closer to death. And so we're going to meet the end eventually. What happens next? Was all of that in vain? And so the answer to this question of what happens next is is going to have an incredible impact on your life. To be able to answer what's next will change everything. It's a question that comes at a variety of times in life, right? We get to a funeral and certainly ask the question of what's next. We face time of sickness and of conflict and of broken relationships, the loss of a loved one, a, a senseless act of terror. These are moments where we say, what's next? What's going on here? And what happens when we die? And so the way we think about this question is often influenced by society around us. Like most things in our life, Hollywood has an incredible impact on the way we think about things. And so the Hollywood idea of heaven is completely distorted. We talked about last week uh, playing harps, sitting on clouds and robes. Not a lot of harp players in the room. And so we, we have this challenge of, of what heaven is going to be like because I don't want to sit on a cloud and play a harp Forever. And so heaven has to be something better than that, right? Heaven has to be something so much more incredible. What does it mean to go to heaven? And so we're going to spend some time unpacking this this morning. We can only scratch the surface. Um, Patrick is going to do a whole series on this in August, and it's titled, What the Heaven? So <laughs> Patrick is Patrick's not here, so we'll make fun of his, his title Leave it to Patrick to have a title like that, but he, he has been spending months in research trying to prep for this, this series in August, so it's going to be a great opportunity for us to look more at, at what heaven is and, and what eternity looks like, but we're going to kind of scratch the surface a little bit today. We, asked this, or we, we had this statement last, last week. We said, what you hope for in the future determines what you live for today, and so this is a really important statement. Like life-transforming statements. What you hope for determines what you live for today. And way too many of us hope for a great bank account. And so that determines what we do today. We hope for health. We hope for good relationships. We hope for security. We hope for so many things. And that determines how we live today. And so if our hope is in something else, that may have an impact on how we live today. If our hope is in eternity with God, like really our hope is that, like in our hearts we believe that and our hope is eternity with God, that will radically transform the way we live today. Our priorities, our values, what is important will be changed because of what we hope for today. And so last week we focused on the resurrection of Jesus because without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope in eternity. Easter is the most important day on our calendar. It is the most important holiday for Jesus followers. It's not Christmas because without Easter, the rest of the Bible makes absolutely no sense. The resurrection of Jesus is key to everything that we believe in. As followers of him. And so, because Jesus conquered death, we have a hope that goes beyond our own death. And so, what happens when we die? What does it look like? What we have in the New Testament does not provide like this real concrete, crystal clear picture of what happens next. It's what N.T. Wright calls signposts pointed into a fog. We've got these signs that point in certain directions, but you can't quite see what it's pointing into because it's a little foggy over there. And so much of what we believe about eternity is is these signposts that are very concrete, very concrete signals into what's next, but what it points into is a little bit fuzzy. And so we have to be very careful that we're not coming up with real concrete descriptions of things that are abstract in the Bible, because they're left abstract for a reason. And so we have to be comfortable in those abstract things, which is very uncomfortable to do, right? (laughs) And so there's these ideas that are very abstract, but we have some very concrete signposts that point into what we're looking at. We get in trouble when we start coming up with concrete descriptions for things that should be left abstract. And that's where so many of our our bad ideas of heaven and hell come from, is trying to come up with something concrete when we don't have something concrete to work with. And so as we look at these signposts and look at what the New Testament actually says, we're going to go through quite a few different scriptures here, lots of different things, um, as we try to get a little bit of a picture of what this fog is that we're pointed into. So... The the New Testament indicates that when we die, we go into some sort of intermediate state. We don't immediately go into where we're going to be for eternity. There's some sort of intermediate thing. And this is a place where a person exists between a time of death and a time of the promised resurrection of the new body. Okay, And so this earthly body dies and goes into the grave— But the Spirit lives on in one of two places. For those in uh, God's—there's the ones that are in God's presence where they enjoy a time of peace until they receive their resurrected bodies, or in a place of torment waiting for final judgment— Okay, so there's this intermediate place. The story of the rich man of Lazarus in Luke 16 gives us a little bit of a picture of what this might look like. And once again, we can't put concrete things to things that should be abstract. But, but Jesus describes this place of blessing for those who are righteous and a place of torment for those who are wicked. But that's not the end. That's not eternity. That's not forever. There's more to come. Because Jesus comes in for, the, for judgment. He comes back to earth to make all things new, to make all things right. Everything will come under his authority. And he's going to throw Satan and his followers into a lake of fire. And Christ's followers will receive an imperishable and resurrected body. And so this is an incredible promise that we receive from God that our ultimate hope in our ultimate hope as Christians is our own resurrection. Remember last week Jesus provided a model for us in his own resurrection. He gives us a prototype of the resurrection. What happens to him happens to us. Paul calls it the first fruits in 1 Corinthians. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's lots in here, so we're going to only pick out a few few chunks of First Corinthians 15. We'll start in First Corinthians 15 verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. The resurrection of the dead comes, all, or, comes through, through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Okay, so, so unpacking this a little bit, we've got Jesus who is the first fruits. He's the prototype of what a resurrection means, that you die and then you come back to life. And so he is the model for this. And it says that, that death comes to all of us, that, that because we are human, we die. That's just how it works, right? The basics. But in Christ, we're made alive. There is, there's a new life found in Christ. But Christ comes first. Christ is the first fruit. He's the prototype for what a resurrection is. And when he comes and when he returns, the same thing happens to those who belong to him. The same thing happens. And so in the same way that Jesus dies, we die, and then there's a period of death, but then God gives us a new and renewed body. And so we don't die and go somewhere else. We aren't a ghost. We're we're not some other creature. There's something very specific here that, that Paul is describing. Look at verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And so we have this resurrected body that is now imperishable. This, this new body, this physical body. It's a different body Because it doesn't die again. Our body now will die, but this new body, this resurrected body, is imperishable, and it will not die again. And so there is this sense of physical immortality. And so it is hard for us to wrap our head around what that looks like and what that means. Because we all have bodies that are getting older and older and in the process of dying. And that will not be the case in the resurrection. So once again, these are signposts that point into a fog. What does that look like? What does that mean? We can't comprehend how this will actually play out, but God says this is what will happen. And so this is where faith has to kick in, that I don't know all the concrete answers to what's next, but I have these promises from God, that my body will be resurrected and it will be imperishable. He says in verse 51, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And so a change will happen. We will be resurrected from the dead. We will be immortal in some way. And so after the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection, uh, we have these imperishable imperishable bodies. And then there will be a final judgment. Jesus comes to judge and establish his kingdom. And so John gives us a glimpse of what this looks like in Revelation. In Revelation, we see this connection back to Genesis, the, the original creation story. We see what hap- we see that happening again in Revelation. And so there's this idea of re-creation. There was creation in Genesis, and then in Revelation, we see this idea of regeneration, this recreation, where, where God will remake the creation, and the resurrected will join with him in the new creation. And so we read in Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And so John has this vision of of this new heaven and this new earth. And the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven as a gift to God's people. And so we, we don't go up to heaven. Heaven comes to us, and heaven and earth collide and come together, and God will be there with his people. And so what happens next? This question, what happens next? The best is what happens next. New heaven and new earth coming together. God's dwelling place is with his people, and he reigns on his throne forever. And so all the things that are bad of this world, the sickness and the death and the mourning and the crying and the pain, all of those things are part of the old order, and those things pass away, and all things are made new. What an incredible promise for us to be dwelling in the place of God forever. The throne of God is described in Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. And so imagine what it's like when heaven and earth, the the new heaven and the new earth, come together and we dwell with God and God is on his throne. He reigns and he's robed in majesty. What incredible images of, of God ruling and us dwelling in his presence. Revelation gives us lots of imagery, but in in, uh, chapter 5, it gives us this imagery of the presence of God and what it might be like to be in the presence of God. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Can you imagine the sound of that? 10,000 on 10,000 angels, their voices. When one angel shows up in the New Testament, it's terrifying. And people fall to their faces because of the presence of this angel. And now here we have tens of thousands of voices of angels in the presence of God they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in, in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever, forever and ever. And so dwelling in the presence of God. What an incredible experience to look forward to. That it's not just sitting on a cloud playing a harp, and it's, it's not just singing worship songs, but it's, it, it's being in the presence of the Creator. Being in the presence of God, God dwelling with Him. Heaven and earth coming together for the people of God to be with God. And that's what it was designed to be from the very beginning. We see Adam and Eve in the garden walking with God in God's presence. It was the original vision that's being restored. And now that is something to look forward to. It's something to hope in. It's something to to long for. This is a promise that we receive from God. It's a resurrected, eternal life. And so God brings the resurrection. He brings restoration. He he brings redemption. And and he comes to fulfill his promises to restore all things to the way they were designed to be. And so think about the very best of you right now. The very best that we experience now. And it's going to be even better. The things that work well with me. The things that function correctly. (laughs) The healthy parts of me. All of those good things. That's everything. The best is everything. And so those things that are broken, those things that don't work, those things that hurt, those things that ache, those things are gone. It's just the best of us. It's the best of you, it's the best of me, and, and those are the things that will define us. It's not the weakness, it's not the sickness, it's not the mistakes, it's not the past. Those are not the things that define us. It's all made new. But it's easy for us to, get, for, to forget these things. It's easy for us to look at the brokenness around us. It's, it's easy of us... It's easy for us to look at our pain and to look at our hurt and to look at this crazy, screwed-up world around us. We look at those things, and we think Satan is winning. We look at those things, and we become discouraged. It looks like he has won up on everything else, that he is winning. And sure, Satan might be winning some battles, but Satan is not winning the war. Satan does not win. We get to see the end of the story. We get to see how everything works out. These are where the signposts are pointing, that that Satan loses, that Christ wins. The blood of the Lamb is what saves us, and that is where victory is. Satan is not winning, even though you feel like it right now. Even though you're in some sort of pit right now, even though you're discouraged, even though you're hurt, even though you see the things around you that are are completely messed up and broken, the relationships in your lives, the job that you have, the health that you have, those things feel like they're winning, but they're not. Satan is not winning. God wins with the blood of the Lamb. And so the hope that we have in eternity defines everything for us. As followers of Jesus, this is the most important belief that we have. This is the most important thing. Above all the other things that we do as a church, all the other things that we believe, we believe in the resurrection. Our hope is in eternity, and that defines us, and we do not lose hearts. Jesus tells his followers in his farewell address in John, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way and the place where I am going. And so we believe in Jesus and and Jesus works to completely transform our relationship with God. It totally changes who we are and what eternity looks like. And so we can very confidently say this core belief together, our 10th And final core belief. Let's read this out loud together. I believe there's a heaven and a hell and that Jesus will return to judge all people and to establish his eternal kingdom. And so what difference does that make? Why is this important? What, what does this belief do for us? If this is what we really believe, it will completely change the way you live. It will completely transform you. It gives us a new hope, but it also gives us a new mission. That if this is what we believe, then, then it will change everything. Because if our hope is in eternity, it will affect how we live. Because our hope is in eternity, we live with hope. Because our hope is in eternity, we we love the people around us. Because our hope is in eternity, we, we lead other people into a relationship with him. We want others to be a part of that. And so if we have a hope, and if we love others, then what does that do to our relationship with them? What, what does the relationship look like with others who are not following Jesus? What should it look like? That if we really believe that we're going to be with God in eternity, should that impact the way we relate to others? And so I want us to take a moment, and we're going to spend some time taking an inventory of our relationships and thinking about who are, who are people that are in our sphere of influence. And so, so think about who are the non-Christians that are in your sphere of influence. It may be coworkers, it may be family, it may be friends, it may be neighbors. Who, who are the non-Christians that are in the sphere of your, infu- uh, the sphere of your influence? We have those people. And so take just a moment and think about who those people are. And if you have, if you have your bulletin or a notebook or something that you can write with, kind of flip that over and start jotting down some names. Maybe it's names, maybe it's places. Maybe it's the different spaces that you're in. Think about who those people are. Take a moment and do that. So you think about the non-Christians that are, are around you, and, and are you actively sharing God's love with them? What do those relationships look like? Are you, are you sharing God's love with them in some way? Now, th- these are really hard questions, and, and these are incredibly convicting. And so we're, we're going to use our prayer time to to spend some time with these names and, and if you don't have names, this is not a, a time of judgment. It's not a time of condemnation or blame. Um, we're all in, in different places of belief, right? We're, we're trying to get this belief into our head and then from our head down to our heart, and we're in different places in that process. And so maybe you think about the, the, the people that are in, in your area of influence, and, and it's blank. Like, like you don't have a name to write down. Like I don't have any coworkers that don't believe in Jesus, thankfully. <laughs> um, and so, you know, so my 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 work environment is a little different. And so for me, it's convicting. I I don't have coworkers that I can I can influence in that way. Um, some of you work at Christian schools and you have similar situations, or or maybe you work from home and you're very isolated in your work very independent in your work or so maybe it's not coworkers, but but maybe it's family members or maybe it's neighbors and and this is not to to beat us up okay this is this is to to evaluate and think okay what is God calling me to do like like where am I at in my walk where am I at in this process of belief and what is God calling me to do in this time and place who are the people in your area of influence? So maybe your list is blank. Maybe it's very short. Maybe it's really long, but you're just embarrassed by the witness that you have not had with those people. Or may, maybe, maybe you have been the opposite of a good witness. You have, you have done things that do not reflect well on what you really believe. And so this is kind of a time to evaluate those things. Who are you? What do you believe in? That's what we've been spending the last 12 weeks on. What do you really believe? And if you really believe those things, what does that do for your life? How does that impact your mission as a follower of Jesus? Thankfully, it's not all our responsibility to make sure this happens. Thankfully, it is God's work in people and not our work in people that brings salvation and transformation. And so we don't beat ourselves up we 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 don't discourage ourselves. We 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 don't become we don't have a sense of, of shame and condemnation. But but as we step forward, what are we going to be doing to be faithful to God's call on our life? How do these beliefs impact us? But but it's it's God who is going to be doing the work. And so we keep praying. And we we keep asking that, that God will show us how to be a part, not the source. How can we be a part of the salvation process of the people that we list out? How can we be a part of that? Maybe it's simple words of encouragement. Maybe it's, it's a friendly conversation and talking about your faith. Maybe it's an invitation to church, an invitation to a, a small group or to some sort of church gathering. It can be something very simple. It can be something incredibly profound. It could be the littlest of things. It could be the biggest of things. But we're, we're just playing a part of those things. I take encouragement from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Other servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And so we've got this guy, Apollos. We've got Paul. We've got people arguing back and forth as to, to who was responsible for bringing them salvation. And it's it's missing the missing the points. It wasn't Paul, it wasn't Apollos. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And so it is God who's making things grow, and so we're faithful to do our part. We're faithful to plant the seeds, we're faithful to, to do what we can to water those seeds, but after that it's on God. Thankfully, right? To know that he's responsible for making those things grow. And so we're going to spend our prayer time. Um, I've been debating on how to actually do this prayer time. Um, and so I'm making it up right now. Um, that's not totally true. But I, I, want us, I want us to be prayerful about these people. Who are the people that are on your list? Who who are people that you really want to see come into a saving relationship with God? So we we've got some some index cards here, and we've got uh, so so I want you if 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 you have names of people that that you really want us to be praying for, I want you to to use our prayer time and come up and get one of these cards and write the name on that card and leave that scattered on the stage here. And we're just going to pray over those, okay? And so uh, we'll open up the prayer time. You can come forward. The praise team will sing their song and maybe have to repeat a couple times. But um, come up and get one of these cards. If, if, you're, if you're one of those people who's really convicted that you don't really have a sphere of influence, you, you, you're not making relationships with, with non-Christians, I want you to just draw a blank line on that paper and embrace that and ask God that he'll fill in that blank. Because we're all in different places on that. And it's okay to be in those different places. It's okay to have a blank line there. Just don't leave it blank. Okay? So I'm going to scatter these across the stage. I'm going to scatter the markers around. Uh, there will be some on these front rows as well. And then uh, let's go ahead and be standing. This is an opportunity for you to uh, pray with others as well. Uh, you can pray with one of the shepherds. Uh, you can pray uh, with each other. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to to lift up our concerns to God. But but if if you've been convicted that there's somebody that you really want us to be praying for, I want to challenge you to come forward and write that name down and leave it for us so we can be praying for it uh, over the weeks to come even. okay, Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all that you do and all that you are. God, we thank you for this hope in eternity. God, we thank you for this hope in Jesus that we have. And so, God, we long for others to know that. We long for others to be a part of that. And so, God, continue to work on us We pray that you will transform us so that we can be a part of planting those seeds and watering those seeds for others. God, do the work in us and the work through us to bring others into a relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.